Please always consult with your physicians prior to making any changes to your treatment plan. Music is courtesy of Ryan Hamner. Welcome to Living with Scanxiety, the cancer podcast, a podcast geared to help you navigate the pediatric cancer world. As a mother of a child who battled a soft tissue sarcoma for over a year, your host, Rosaria Kozar, understands and will help guide you through your journey. She brings the knowledge of experts, families, survivors, and other organizations tied to the pediatric cancer world to your doorstep. Her mission is to inform, support, and promote hope for you and your family. This is where hope lives. This is where hope thrives. Together as one we It's we had to go back and conquer that little fear, that little nightmare, that little PTSD that was still lingering. And that for me was what I needed to do to take the first step into doing anything else in my life, anything, not only uh, work, but what I used to do, what I used to like to do. But that was what I needed, uh, uh, you know, to take that first step. Hi, this is Rosaria, and I am here with Joel Ohelia, and he is the father of Mia. And we're going to focus on dads today and male caretakers. Um, he is also the owner of The Gold Corner, which is another awareness platform on YouTube. I highly suggest you check it out. So welcome to the show. Rosaria, I just wanted to say thank you so much for this opportunity. I've been following your podcast. I think what you're doing is amazing. So it's a real honor and pleasure to be here with you today. So thank you so much. Well, thank you. That means a lot. And I am just pleased to get your word out there because I don't think there's enough knowledge uh, and background on this. So thank you for agreeing to come on and share this information with my listeners. And so tell me a little bit about your daughter, Mia. Well, yes, of course. I am always happy to speak about her. You know, it's a, when you go through this process, when you go through this journey, a lot of people are afraid to ask you, you know, about your child, about what they went through. But, you know, you, you going uh, through it firsthand, you know, we love to speak about our children and, you know, we still like to keep their, their, uh, their, their memory alive. And, you know, I'm obviously getting a little ahead of myself here speaking about her, but my daughter, Mia, she was born in July of 2015, July, um, July 19th of 2015. Um, I mean, for what we knew back then, you know, pretty healthy. She was already, she was out the, uh, uh, the second day, you know, after she was born, she was brought home and, you know, she, she grew up uh, being a, a, what we thought a healthy little girl, you know, just, uh, you know, I had gone back to work and, and her mom at uh, her and I, at that time where we were still, uh, together, um, but yes, uh, you know, we, she would go to daycare. We would get the reports that, you know, she would be bullying other little kids, you know, that she would be taking their snacks or that she would be doing this or that. So, you know, we never knew anything was wrong. You know, um, it wasn't until she was about to be two years old in 2017 that she started getting a little bit of a, a belly ache, you know, on, on certain days. And and we didn't think much of it, you know. And, and when we did take her, when I took her to her pediatrician, 
um, they said what most of the parents that are, have gone through this, uh, you know, the, the number one thing is your child's constipated, you know, here's some Miralax, let's give him, let's give her this so she can try and, you know, poop a, a little bit better or she can, uh, you know, release whatever she has inside, right? Um, so uh, that's what we thought, you know, we thought that it was just, you know, little belly aches and and we never thought that there was this uh, this big monster inside of her that was that was growing, that was actually there since birth and we were not aware of that. Um, two uh, weeks, actually, I'm sorry, two months after her second birthday uh, in September of 2017 is when we actually had to uh, take her to uh, the emergency room because it was the pain was a little too much. Her belly was a little bit, uh, you know, it it was kind of hard, her, her little belly area. And that is when we got the news that uh, all these parents that are in this unfortunate group uh dread hearing and, and these are the words that still haunt you and keep you up at night and that's when they said you know your your daughter has cancer so she was diagnosed with uh with neuroblastoma in september of 2017 oh wow i'm so sorry that you had to go through that and i know the pain where you always say it in your shows but we're a family when we go through these things. We become a tribe together. And how, as a male in that male role, did you feel that you needed to react in that moment? Because we often talk about flight, fight, or freeze, but there's also sometimes a stigma attached in society. So with being male, um, so I'm just wondering how that was for you. Well, it was difficult and, and it was difficult because, you know, also um, I, I was in the medical field. I still am in the medical field. I work in ophthalmology surgery and I've been doing that for uh, 19 years now. And so it was one of these things that I knew more than I needed to know, but yet I did not know enough. You know, I'm doing ophthalmology surgery, not knowing what cancer is or, or how to treat cancer, what these things are. So not only as, as a male, but also as a medical professional, I try to keep it together. I try to trust the doctors that unfortunately, um, you know, my daughter was initially misdiagnosed and she was misstaged and unfortunately was started with uh, the wrong chemo. So the initial part of her treatment ended up hurting her a lot more than actually helping her. But to go back to your question, yes, it's it's that stigma that you say that we have to be, you know, the strong uh, uh, person when it comes to this story. You know, I mean, I have, you know, Mia's mom, when she found out and my parents and her other grandparents, cousins, brothers, sisters, you know, they're, they're looking at the way that you act because they are feeding off of you. So if you show that you are, you know, just scared, it's going to feed off of the rest of the family. So they're looking at that male, they're looking at that father to see how you're going to react. And it's like a little domino effect because the way you react is the way mom's going to react, the way grandma's going to react, the way brother or sister is going to react. So we do have that to where we need to show that we are strong. And that initially was my, my position in all this. I said, you know what? I'm a medical professional. I am her father and I'm going to protect her as much as I can. I'm going to do everything I can in my power to show not only my daughter, but the rest of my family that, 
that we're strong, that we can get through this, that yes, we've been dealt with this, but you know, with, with God's help, I'm still standing firm and I'm still standing in faith and I have to be strong. Um, and that is one thing that as, as it progressed, as it went on, I learned that it was okay to show that weak part of you, that it was okay because if you bottle it up, it's going to end up just coming back and blowing up and being a hundred times worse than what it is. So I know that it's hard when you're in that part, but it's a lot of the things that I preach to other dads right now that I speak to. And I tell them, you know what, it's in one of my things that is saying, it's okay to not be okay. Mm-hmm. You know, it's okay to know that you're going through this, that not a lot of people are going to understand what you're going through. But yet you have to take some time for yourself. You have to cry. You have to be human as well. You know, knowing that there is a a little person, your son or your daughter, that is fighting for their life, you know, and you also have to self-care, which I know at that point, and I I knew the first couple of months that Mia was going through her diagnosis, uh, through her treatments, I I didn't care much about my Mm self-care because all I wanted was to, you know, 24-7 to cater to her. And and that is, you know, when when the the parent instinct kicks in, you know, I'm going to protect my son, I'm going to protect my daughter. So yes, it's, it's something that that us as dads, we we have to show that part. You know, we have to show that we are strong. Um, but but it's okay. It's okay to also cry. It's okay to have those feelings because again, we are human, and not only that, but we are also parenting a child that is literally clinging and fighting for their life. I'm so happy that you shared that with me. How did you feel about being left out of groups? And I say that because there are so many groups online and they're all labeled mom's group. What kind of help did you get? Well, you know, and initially when when these uh, situations come in, we started here in our local hospital in El Paso and eventually ended up going to Fort Worth uh, to continue treatment. Yes, there, like you said, I, I, I was looking for a place. I was looking for a platform and there is, you know, several of them. But like you said, it was, you know, uh, cancer moms or uh, momcologists or all these other organizations. And there was really no, uh, the only organization out there that I had seen was a a bereaved group for dads. But at that time, I wasn't a bereaved father, you know, I was a a father who was fighting along with their child. So there really wasn't, you know, and, and, you know, 90% of the people that would go visit you, it would be moms that had gone through the same thing. But whenever there was a dad involved, I would welcome that dad and sit down and, you know, please let me know what has helped you, what hasn't helped you, what are you doing to keep your sanity? Because obviously being in this hospital, mom or dad, you you lose track of days, you lose track of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so everything, you know, is, is kind of like a big blur, you know, everything kind of is happening like if you're in a dream almost. So yeah, you know, it was difficult to find any sort of group for fathers that, that are going through that. And, and that is something that now, you know, where I'm at right now is I, I try to also uh, speak to a lot of the dads as well, you know, and in, in my uh, episodes and, you know, in, in my uh, nonprofit organization too, I try to speak to as many dads as, as we can, because we, we all, we are also a part of this as well, you know, and a very important part of this as well, both mom and dad, but, you know, yes, it, it was extremely difficult to find a, a group while I was going through that. I can't 
even begin to imagine from the male perspective. And that's why I find it so important to talk to you, get that perspective. This is one of the things I love about Joel's The Gold Corner, because he is one of the very few males that works with childhood cancer on his uh, YouTube channel. Uh, That said, do you have a suggestion for what men can do to others that they can identify with? Well, I mean, the the, the suggestion, uh, one thing that I would say is, you know, if, if you are not, you know, the, the type of person that is on social media, uh, if you're not the type to look for groups there, I know that there's a lot of hospitals um, that, that will have those groups. So whatever hospital, if you're going through it right now, speak to whatever social worker there is right there and ask them, you know, are there any uh, any man's groups around here or anything that, you know, that, that I can speak to other dads themselves? Because, you know, it's, it's important to be around other men that are going through the same thing. It's it's also equally as important, you know, when you are with your spouse or your significant other and you're a part of that group because you're getting the perspective of both mom and dad and that's helping you. But there are a lot of things that us as men would like to discuss, you know, that we we need to be vulnerable as well. Mm-hmm. And that is one thing that we we as men, uh, it's in our instinct not to be vulnerable. And especially when you're faced with a situation like this, it's hard to 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 be vulnerable and, and to, you know, to have that strong persona. But, you know, uh, my suggestion is to to speak to, um you, you know, social workers at that hospital, or if not, again, you know, get, if, even if you're not on social media, get on these groups, you know, mm-hmm. again, my, my organization, my nonprofit organization, the goldcorner.org, you can reach out to, you know, me there, my office number is there, my email is there, I, I would be more than happy to, to speak to anyone that's going through this, this is a real passion of mine right now. Now, it's something that I promised my daughter I was going to continue to do, that I promised God that I was going to continue to do. And and so this is, I mean, I... I have people calling me at two, three in the morning, four in the morning, wanting to speak, you know, dads, and I'm, I'm happy, you know, when I, when I get to speak to them. So if, if this is you, please feel free to, to reach out to me. If you don't have any local groups or any other groups, I would be more than happy to speak to you. That's great. And that's really great to know that you have that out there and you're willing to work with these other men, because like you said, and if there are moms listening, we do have our own groups. And the reason why we have our own groups is because our self-care looks a lot different. But I just want to know, what did you end up doing for self-care? Well, um, as far as self, my self care was different, obviously, when I was going through through uh, the journey with my daughter, as opposed to the self care that I do now. Um, it, you know, it, it did take me a couple of months after her diagnosis for me to 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 do anything to for me to even go for a walk, because as you know, even when you're there with your child fighting, you do not want to leave the room at all. And even going and grabbing something to eat, even leaving for an hour, you know, to go take a walk, it's 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 difficult. And not only that, your mind is not where it needs to be. Your mind is in that hospital bed. Your mind is in that monitor, you know, and, and, and all these other things that are going on. So what, what I really... Um, what helped me to self-care while Mia was going through things is honestly just, I mean, something as simple as a walk. I, mm-hmm. you know, I would go out for a walk and just kind of clear my head and recharge my batteries at that point and then go in. You know, I, I grew up doing martial arts and obviously that is something that I wasn't going to be doing while my daughter was going through her situation. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, something as simple as, as doing that, as talking to someone, you know, going for a walk, uh, going and grabbing something to eat, just kind of breathe something differently than just being in the hospital room, you know, because it, yes, it's important to be there, but it's also important to self care because if you're not a hundred percent, you're not going to be able to give a hundred percent to your child that's fighting right there. Um, obviously after my daughter passed, you know, and she passed, uh, uh, we're going on three years. She passed in July of 2018. It was extremely difficult for me to do anything, Rosaria. It, it was, uh, you know, my passion was martial arts. Uh, um, and, and I guess I'll, I'll go into this a little bit later, but you know, I'm a mixed martial arts referee and I've traveled all over the country doing fights. And that was another passion of mine is, is being the third man in the cage. And I had lost my passion for everything, you know, six months after Mia passed. I didn't, I mean, I would be, Harley would be even out of bed. I did not want to be out of bed. I would end up being at the cemetery almost every night till late at night. It was just extremely difficult, extremely, extremely difficult. And it's, you know, I, I got to the point where, you know, people were trying to help and, you know, I'm, I'm happy that I have a good support group and, and, you know, people were telling me little by little, Joel, you, you need to get back to what you used to love to do. You need to get back to whatever normal life is going to be start little by little. And, you know, even, even as, as me having promised Mia that I was going to always share her story and I was going to do everything in my power to help all, all these other children going through things and be a voice for them and be there for other parents, it was still extremely difficult for me to even uh, speak about the subject, about what had happened. Now, prior to Mia being diagnosed, I used to be a youth pastor growing up. I was a motivational speaker before then, you know, so now going back to this and being a motivational speaker now, it was extremely difficult. And it was going to be extremely difficult for me to stand and preach again and talk about faith and talk about, you know, healing and talk about God's greatness when knowing that my daughter had passed. But again, I, I needed to do this. And one thing that really, really helped me, Rosaria, is, you know, we live in El Paso, Texas, which is about a 10-hour drive to Fort Worth, where ultimately is it's where Mia passed. But one thing that really helped me is I actually went back to Fort Worth um, about a year, a little bit, about 10, 11 months after Mia passed. And I went to go volunteer at the Ronald McDonald House. I went to go feed the families there. And I actually had a, I guess I would say a fear that I needed to conquer or something that I needed to do for myself. And in Fort Worth, all the places that I took Mia to the zoo, you know, to, to the Ronald McDonald house, anywhere, I had to go back and walk those same places alone where I had walked with my daughter when she was still here. And it was extremely difficult to go back. I mean, once I walked into the Ronald McDonald house, I literally collapsed because the memories of us being there 10 months kind of just overtook everything, but I know I needed to be there. So once I took that trip and, and my family, my parents and my sister accompanied me. And once I took that, it kind of gave me strength to go back and conquer what I needed to conquer. I said, I've conquered the worst thing a parent can go through, Rosario. And you know this, and a lot of, of your listeners are, are know this, that when your child passes, there is nothing that this world can throw at you that's going to scare you. There's nothing in this world that's going to come at you or any news that are going to shake you the way that it shook you there. You know, you've gone through the worst thing. 
any human can possibly go through. And we're still here. And we have decided to be a voice just like, like, like you have and I have. So that is something that I needed to do to come back and say, okay. And I told myself and I told God and I told Mia, okay, I said, okay. I'm done, you know, with that part of the grieving process. I'm going to always grieve. I'm going to grieve for the rest of my life. But now it's time for me to start doing what I said I'm going to do and and start being a voice for these kids and start being there for other parents that have reached out to me or were reaching out to me. And that is where the Gold Corner was born. And that is when I decided to do what I do now. And, you know, just like you, and I'm sure you do this after every episode, you know, you get triggers after every episode, you go back to thinking of things that you went through after every episode, Rosario. Once I push stop on the recording, I cry so much. And after I air every episode, I go to the cemetery and I cry so much. And people do not see this about you and I. They see us here. They hear your podcast. You know, we might even laugh at a couple of things. They might see me smiling on camera when I do my episodes. But once we push stop and Mm -hmm. we go back to our normal lives, that's what a lot of people, if you haven't gone through it, they don't know what this part is. And they don't know this whole part of the grieving process. But Yes, to go back to your your original question, yes, that helped me after Mia's passing uh, is having is going back to Fort Worth to the hospital that she was, including the room where she passed to the Ronald McDonald house to the zoo to Target to all these other all these places that we used to go through that that helped me kind of get over that that initial bump. Absolutely. And it's hard and it's really hard. So I think it was both of us almost conquering our PTSD in a way and part of our grief. I, would you agree or? Yes. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I, I agree with you is it's we had to go back and conquer that little fear, that little nightmare, that little PTSD that was still lingering. And that for me was what I needed to do to take the first step into doing anything else in my life anything, not only uh, work, but what I used to do, what I used to like to do, but that was what I needed, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, to take that first step. Well, thank you so much for being vulnerable and sharing that. I really appreciate it. Is there anything else that you'd like to add about being a caretaker that is, you ended up being the primary uh, caretaker. So is there anything else you'd like to add about that? You know, like like I did tell you uh, earlier, it, it's okay to be vulnerable and it's okay to to show that soft side of you. You know, you're not going to be less of a person, male, especially if you're showing that part, because that is something that if you hold on uh, inside of you, it's going to bottle up and it's probably going to come out in, in, a, in, a, in a way that it might hurt somebody's feelings. It might hurt somebody or you might even end up hurting yourself. And, and, and that's not OK, you know, because self-care is very, very important. So if you're going through it right now with your child, self-care, find some time for yourself. If if praying makes you uh, feel better, then then find a little spot or a little corner or go to a, 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 a somewhere outside in, in, in the cafeteria and pray. Or if you just want to walk and, and, and just get some fresh air, that's also, you know, one of the, the very important things is obviously self-care. And that's something I'm always going to be preaching is about self-care. But yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it's, it's okay. It's okay to, to, to be not okay. And I can't stress that enough. I can't let you know how important it is. 
is for you to know, Rosaria, a part of us and all the other bereaved parents and even parents that have gone through it and their child is fine, there's going to be a part of us that is never going to be okay. And you have to know that it's okay, that it's okay. It's the way that you present that. And once you accept that, you know, that that part of you is not going to be okay, then then trust me, it's going to make you feel a little bit better. Absolutely. I agree. And thank you so much for sharing that. I have to add, at the end of every show, we do a little something to kind of change, not the tone, but just trying to get where you are right now. If you could pick a song, any song that represents your life right now, what would it be? Wow. Okay. <laughs> um, so there's a song by a Christian band called Mercy Me. I'm, I'm a big fan of, of, of Mercy Me. And there is a song that has helped me to get through where I am right now. You know, we, we all, you know, no matter what your belief is, we all know that this world is just not a good one right now, you know, and we see how, how bad it's getting as, you know, every day passes by. But the one song that really gets uh, to me when I hear it is um, Almost Home by Mercy Me. And that song, if you haven't heard it, I suggest that you go and you hear it. And it's talking about how one day we're going to be home. You know, this is not our eternal home. We will be home. We will see our children again. So the song says, you know, just just keep on running this race because we're almost home. You know, it won't be long. And, and soon all your burdens, all your pains and all the sadness will be gone because we will be home one day at this eternal paradise where we will be together with our children. We will be worshiping our creator. And I, for one, cannot wait until I'm home. So if you see my episodes, I always end with this. Um, and I tell people, live each day to its fullest because tomorrow is not promised. You really, truly got to live each day like if it's your last day. You got to make it count. And as... um. I, I, Kiki and Tracy McDaniel, who also went through something like this, and they have an amazing organization called Chase to Victory. Chase would say the most important day is today. And it is. Mm-hmm. Today is the most important day. And I always tell people, just hold on a little while longer because we're almost home. And that to me mm-hmm. is what keeps me going is that one day I will be home with my daughter again and this time for eternity. So that is my one song, Almost Home by Mercy Me. I can't wait to listen to it. I'll definitely have to download it and check it out. Well, thank you so much for joining me. And thank you for your vulnerability and giving all this amazing information. Listeners, please go check out his YouTube channel. It is uh, The Gold Corner, correct? Correct. Am I saying that right? Yes, The Gold Corner. All his links will be on www.livingwithscanxiety.com dot org backslash show notes so go there check it out click on this picture and it'll have uh the link to the episode explanation and all of his uh, amazing uh work that he does in links all right thank you Hi, see you guys. Thank you for tuning in to Living with Scanxiety. Please subscribe to hear more informative discussions like today's. Music is courtesy of Ryan Hamner. 